The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
and I swear that I don't have a gun. <laughs> oh, man. That, uh, that was a bit of a dark opening, wasn't it? It was, and, uh, but I let you run wild and free with it. Yeah, I think it, I think it segues well into what we're going to be talking about in just a few seconds here. In a few seconds. But, Tell us uh, about that song and well, why you just love it so much. Unless you were living in a cave, which these <laughs> days, you know, you can there probably you go. There you go, alienating the cave-dwelling portion of our audience well, again. You know, they, they, they can get Wi-Fi, so oh, I'm sure they're up goodness. to speed on the fact that uh, that was Come As You Are mm-hmm. uh, from Nirvana. It was the third track and the second single off their monster, monster, like, we're going to change the world with this one. <laughs> it album. almost did. Yeah, they, well, they changed pop culture, without a doubt. Yep. Uh, the album, of course, was Nevermind. And uh, very interesting backstory to Come As You Are. Apparently, it did cause a little bit of controversy uh, when it was released in the music industry because apparently it bore a resemblance to a killing joke song called 80s. I have heard that. Yep. And, uh, and apparently, there were talks of a potential lawsuit and whatnot. And then... As these things go, a song by the Damned uh, came up that preceded the Killing Joke song uh-huh, that had uh-huh. that same guitar riff, and pretty much put a kibosh on Killing Joke's claim that uh, somehow right. Nirvana plagiarized their their eighties. And being tune. overly familiar with that song, yeah, it's a stretch. Even like just as it is, a to, bit, to make yeah. the connection. Yeah, I mean it's 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 difficult when you think about it. Uh, I think it was John Lennon that, that said back in the day that all the songs have been written. Right. You know, and it, to come up with something that, that nobody has done before, yeah. it doesn't bear any resemblance or whatnot. In, in, even in the 1990s when, uh, when uh, Nevermind came out, bit of a stretch. Yeah, bit even, a stretch. even my design teacher in college, that was one of the first things he told us. He's like, look, everything's been done already. Yeah. Just do it better. Yeah, yeah, and put your own spin on it. Tall order. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but if you know you had a guy with you know the distinctive vocal that Kurt Cobain had mm-hmm. uh, singing the song, that in and of itself is going to separate it from anything that had been written previously. You would think, and yeah. uh, and it is kind of curious and a uh, very dark and ironic way that Kurt wrote multiple songs that reference guns mm. uh, to the way in the end he took himself. Out of the picture, so right, to speak. Right. You know, kind of, kind of a very foreboding thing when you look on it, look back on it in retrospect, right. and uh, and yeah, it just adds to the legend. It was, was Nirvana, and yeah. we're certainly not planting flowers this episode, folks. No, no because we're not. here is the tie-in, Michael. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened on the set of, I believe, the movie was called Rust. Rust. Correct? Yeah. Uh, the very tragic shooting uh, that went on, which and, is important uh, to point out. Yeah. Yeah, keeping it, me and my philosophical attack dogs at bay. Michael was very good this week at saying, <laughs> I hear you, Johnny, but don't forget, somebody lost their life. Another person was injured. You know, there, there's, there's a human aspect to this story, yeah. uh, which overrides the inhumanity of, of, of one Alec Baldwin. Yeah, the fact that, uh, <laughs> the, that Alec Baldwin was in the center of this colossal fucking mess yeah. Uh, does lend itself to even a higher degree of controversy than would already exist had it just happened on a random movie set. Sure. Um, Alec Baldwin, of course, is rather outspoken. Asshole! Uh, in a lot, of, uh, a lot of places and amongst a lot of people that kind of makes him a target. Boy lovers. Right. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with where he's coming from, um, there is an element of waving the red cape in front of the bull mm-hmm. uh, to what Alec Baldwin does. But, and it's funny uh, that you should say that. It's important that you say that. And in the interest of, um, you know, something that we always try and do on this show is treat our audience with respect. Yeah. 
And, and they we don't... concede that our audience is intelligent. Right. Yeah. And as such, I will make no mystery, and it might not reflect in, in my portion of the quote-unquote argument and the opening topic today, but um, I am 100% anti-Alec Baldwin for political reasons and just social reasons and, and just the way the man carries himself and has throughout his career. Trash. Not to take away from his talent or what he's produced and what he's added to you know popular culture. Um, kind of similar to a way that I no longer really hold, let's say, Robert De Niro in high regard because as we've touched on many times on this show, I personally, just speaking for myself, have a hard time separating the artist from the artist's views sure, and that sure. which they espouse. Oh, yeah. So uh, be it duly noted that Michael was the voice of reason for this episode <laughs> because I was slathering at, at the jowls like Cujo <laughs> ready to attack and, and tear this man down. And he brought up the very simple fact that it's not about Alec Baldwin, like him, not like him, his yeah. views, whatever. Yeah. It, it's a tragedy. So we're examining the aspect of possibly the things that led to it, how it could have been prevented, and what the ramifications in the real world, not the court of public opinion, will be as a result. Yeah, and and being being on a liberal end of the uh, the uh, partnership that Johnny and I uh, share doing the Riffs and Rant show, uh, I'm obviously uh, more politically aligned with Alec Baldwin. Mm -hmm. But I can fully understand, again, why he would provoke that kind of response from people. I fully understand that. And, uh, and yeah, this whole thing was, a, was really a tragedy. Um, it has been called, in a number of different reports, a cascading series of errors. Yes. Uh, very much a perfect storm that led to this. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it could be a situation where, you know, there might have been a little bit of arrogance, a little pride involved. Little hubris, um, you know, and and we should note that the investigation is still ongoing. Right. Uh, but certain things have come out uh, as facts um, that really can't be disputed, and that is that there were a series, like I said, of of errors, of mm -hmm. uh, lack of lack of protocol, lack of judgment on this one. Stupid. That uh, unfortunately led to the tragic end that it led to. Right. Or as I had said to you early on when we were exploring the topic, it's, it's a virtual Skinner box of liability. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it, 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 it's like you said, it, it's a comedy of errors. Morons. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what recreates this, and, and the one thing that, that enables me to look at it as unbiasedly as possible, is strictly from the word of the law and from a business sense being he is the producer and owner of the production company that was doing this movie, the buck stops with him. Yeah. And the fact that he would, let's just say irresponsible, because a better word's not coming to me right at this moment. Yeah. Where corners were cut thinking that nothing bad could happen after all the movies he's done. Yeah. There's always things that can go awry, even with, with all the checks in the world and, and the most qualified staff possible, neither of which were applied to this film. Yeah. It was low budget. They were rushing it through. As you'll, I'm sure, touch on, there was uh, numerous instances of uh, staff and crew that have walked off for varying reasons. Oh, yeah. There were a number, a number of factors at play here that, that, that made it apparently a tense environment, an environment ripe for something like this to happen, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, a number of things, labor disputes amongst other things, um, you know, cutting corners. The fact that the armorer, I believe is the term, mm -hmm. uh, was only on her second film with this responsibility. And apparently on Rush, she was doing two different jobs. Right. Um, which obviously when you do that, it's going to pull focus away from things. Sure. You know, you're, you're dividing your focus between said two jobs when if you understand the role of the armorer on a film uh, like this handling you know, weapons, mm -hmm. uh, there shouldn't be any distractions. There, right. You know, and unfortunately, you know, these, these things are all easy to see in retrospect. Right. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we talked about, you know, the tragic uh, instance where Brandon Lee mm -hmm. uh, died during the shooting of The Crow. Right. And, you know, knowing human nature and in knowing Hollywood and mm -hmm. how, how films go and whatnot, I'm sure in the immediate aftermath of Brandon Lee's death, there was a tightening up of standards and procedures uh, governing the use of guns on movie sets, but sure, that was yeah. that was a few years ago, yep. and I'm sure things got a little lax since then. And then look, know? everything, like you said, it's it's a low budget production, which you know doesn't mean it's shit automatically. There are a lot of movies that can be made on a low budget. Oh, of course. And the reason why you know this movie and truth be told, many others don't use uh, what we call prop guns that are rendered unable to actually shoot projectiles yeah. is because the process entails removing you know, the firing pin and whatnot and, and taking a two, perhaps to $3,000 firearm, more if it's a historical piece, and rendering it inoperable. Yeah. So now it's, it's worth shit, basically. You know? yeah. And you know, the big studios can afford to do that when they've got these big budgets. And everybody wonders why. Well, how, why does it cost so much to make a movie? Yeah. There's so many odds and ends. And yes, in most cases, you're using full union uh, staff to make this thing come off, yep. which, again, wasn't the case in this picture. No, that was, that was, as a matter of fact, one of the things that was ratcheting up tension on the set. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a, there was a potential strike pending. Uh, amongst uh, union members on the set. Uh, they had already agreed to strike if negotiations, which were ongoing during the shooting of Rust, didn't work out, uh, you know, to the favor of the union members. Mm -hmm. uh, that could only make things a little bit more tense. Right. You know, and, and again, you know, like you were saying, on a low-budget situation, you don't necessarily have the kind of oversight that you would want to have exactly. when, you're, yep. when you're dealing with weapons mm -hmm. and you know in a, a really telling thing that's come out in the investigation apparently there were two accidental gun discharges just days prior to the shooting right you know that's red flag shit right yeah. there and maybe you know under the circumstances you go oops mm -hmm. you know but we're going to keep moving because we're on a limited limited budget we have a limited time frame in which to accomplish what we need to accomplish uh and again reading you know and both of us you know we did extensive research on this we're not just sitting here you know Shooting off, pontificating the way Alec Baldwin would. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That just rolls right off the tongue. I kind of set that one up, but that was a big fat softball I threw in your direction, wasn't it? That's a tomato can, sir. Yeah, but uh, but also they found out that the, that the crew, elements of the crew and, and the staff, were uh, in quotes laser shooting this very same weapon. Yeah, you were telling me about the day that. before. You know, yeah, the day right. of, the day before. Yeah, that's alarming, right? And you know, the fact of the matter is, this was a, a three fifty seven Magnum Colt, so it was a, a a an archaic piece to begin with, a period piece. This thing's like a hand cannon. Yeah. Okay. So again, they're just not the one trend we're seeing throughout this whole event. They're not treating firearms with the respect that any trained or qualified person yeah. would know to treat 
firearms with. Yeah. There's a reason you always, you know, empty the chamber, make sure it's not loaded. All these basic steps that you get with a pistol license that weren't followed. Oh, yeah. That, that again, in, in tracing the uh, uh, things, the, the, the procedures that mm-hmm. led up to somebody handing Alec Baldwin what turned out to be a loaded weapon. Right. You know, the standard safety procedures were not followed. Right. You know, the gun was not checked mm-hmm. for live rounds in all chambers. Right. And you again, know? to be fair to him in the moment, he could not have known that this gun was loaded. Yeah. You know, looking at the ass end of a bullet when it's loaded, especially into a revolver, that's it. You see the ass end of the bullet, which all look the same, you yeah. know, because there's a powder charge and a brass casing. It's the front of the bullet that looks markedly different if it's a blank versus a live round. Yeah. But you can't see that when you're just, you know, the actor handed a gun. And even, like I say, even if he popped the cylinder and looked at the, the back of the bullets, that's all you're going to see is yeah. the same thing. It's, it's a bullet casing. Oh, yeah. So taking a, an early stance like Fox News did, where they, they paint a picture of him picking up this gun and shooting it off like he's in a rodeo, it's extremely irresponsible. It's also completely inaccurate. And it yeah. is not for that scenario that I blame, or lay the, the blame rather, at Alec Baldwin's feet. It's solely because he owns the production company, yeah. meaning he is the beginning and the end, unless he's got an assistant that's doing all this for him, yeah. the beginning and the end of the oversight chain is whoever's writing the checks. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, somebody unfortunately, has to step up and take responsibility for this. And right. that generally would fall to the producer. You know, regardless of what went on, it's the producer's responsibility. And these procedures were not followed. And regardless of all the details that you could possibly talk about that led up to somebody handing Alec Baldwin a loaded weapon, uh, the sheriff of Santa Fe County announced that the gun he fired had a live round in it. It had a lead bullet that was recovered from the director's shoulder. That's not disputable. Right. You can't, you can't argue that point. That yeah. is a fact. And a woman's dead. Yeah. That's not going to go away. Unfortunately you can't, you can't fix not. that in a rewrite, no. you know? No. And though I am, you know, I have been a fan of Alec Baldwin's work. Uh, read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote, I, I enjoyed it very much. I have to wonder what the fuck he was thinking Making statements to the press in the aftermath of this, you know, well, that from leads Vermont. us to the you next know. section. Yeah, where the fuck are his people? Right, you know, to say, Alec, don't say a word to the press. Don't say yeah. anything. Isolate. Get, Shut up and hide. Yeah, because you you can only make the situation worse. You know that the attack dogs mm-hmm. out there, these Fox News pricks, are waiting <laughs> to jump on him. For anything you he says. misspelled courageous journalist, I kind of did, yes, I did. <laughs> I, I went with the, with the shortened version. But, but yeah, you know, the hounds are waiting to pounce Alec. Shut the fuck up right. and go into isolation. Go into hiding. And as much as I can acknowledge that and, and, you know, poke the bear that is the junior high school of reporting that Fox News is, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors as Alec Baldwin when you jet set off to Vermont Okay, to a little sleepy town. They, they call it a luxury ski resort town. And I say not for nothing, every place in New England when the temperatures drop becomes a luxury ski resort. Yeah, really. But the fact that he went to, uh, to wine and dine with his beloved Hilaria, which, by the way, best female name of all time, <laughs> um, to close the place to the public and then sit there in the middle of this window and just drink and, and eat portions after portions after portions. They saw the chefs bringing it out to them. That's not what's best for optics. 
No. No, man. Well, see, therein, therein lies the problem, because regardless of whether Johnny's interpretation, what he just said, is accurate or not, Alec opened himself up to that. Right. All right, so, you know, you can spin it left, you can spin it right. You know, the fact of the matter is, if he wasn't there and he wasn't doing that, and he wasn't talking, you couldn't, you couldn't spin it. You just you couldn't. So he's not helping himself at all. You know, it's, it's kind of like the old saying goes, you know, put down the shovel. <laughs> you know, put down the fucking shovel, please. You know, the hole has been dug. You're feeding, feeding this, this narrative, you know, and it, it makes it hard to defend the guy. It does. You know? It does. I mean, I remember, you know, reading, you know, the day it came out, you know, the, 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 the discussion he had from wherever the hell he was in Vermont doing whatever the mm-hmm. hell he was doing. And it was like, dude, please, you know, for those of us who are on your side, you're making it very difficult to defend you. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're basically allowing that kind of narrative, mm-hmm. you know, by doing what you're doing, you know. Like I said, shut the fuck up. Go away. Yeah. Go away. And those of us that, that just don't have a good view of him because of this perception of, of hubris and pontification see these things and it just feeds into the narrative. Oh, yeah. And again, once these things gain traction, it, it's very easy for people to want to believe the salacious aspects of this tragedy. Absolutely. Because that's what sells. Yeah. You know? And really... Both sides of the media spectrum are going to do that because they're both trying to sell ad space. Oh, yeah. So you don't see CNN rushing to his defense in any way, shape, or form during this entire episode. No, well, it's one of the most disgusting things about it is, you know, you mentioned CNN. You know, these idiots are spraying their shorts over this. This is, is, you know, the epitome of that that disgusting uh, axiom in the media that if it bleeds, it leads. You know, they've been running with this. They've been running with it. And... You know, uh, anybody who's listened to this show in the past for five fucking minutes knows the issues that I have with mass media and whatnot. And this is a classic example. And, you know, if if we're talking about trying to put this in perspective, you know, I'd like to bring it into perspective with this. And here's our payoff. Um, Recent New York Times investigation uh, brought to light the fact that in the last five years, police officers in the United States have killed more than 400 drivers or passengers of cars who were unarmed during traffic stops, all right? These are people that were not being pursued for violent crimes. That's an average of over one a week, mm-hmm. all right? One every week, you know? This, it, you know, how many times have you been pulled over for speeding or for, you know... A, not a, much, because I'm a law-abiding citizen, all right, and okay. I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> really, that probably factors in. But this isn't even a racial thing. This isn't even a racial thing, you know? Yep. Um, and again, like I said, this is, this is one a week. You know, which is a little bit disturbing. You know, we're, we're obsessing, and by we I mean the news media, and I got to figure it's something to do with the American public because their bullshit defense is, oh, we're just giving the people what they want. We're right, just giving right. them what they read. No, we could definitely cast a, a, a wagging finger towards the American yeah, public because this is, this we're is, enabling it. Yeah, this is, this is a tragedy. Obviously, a, a young woman got killed, a, a yep. mother, you know, a small kid. She was married and whatnot. But again, you know, the police killing an right. unarmed motorist, you know, was involved in a traffic stop of mm-hmm. some kind that had nothing to do with violent crimes on the average of one a week. Right. You know, take and that's a good example, which puts in, in stark relief how the complicated issues, the yeah. ugly, messy, complicated issues 
are pushed aside by the media because they don't think that the general public can handle it or can parse through all the facts and make up their own mind. Yeah, I'm sure that's a big part of it. Because you could easily, even lower hanging fruit, just take a look at gun violence in the major cities. Let's start with Chicago, okay? Yeah. I mean... How many people got you? shot in Boston last weekend? Exactly, in Philadelphia yeah. and all these other wonderful towns. Does, does Baltimore even exist, or did they wall it up like Escape from New York? I, I, mean, I think, yeah, I think bad, that's where right? we're at in Baltimore right and now. And not to pick on these cities, I'm sorry, to single them out, but yeah. they're, they're, the gun violence is out of control. Oh, yeah. But yet, the story now that's carrying the day is one unfortunate set of events and at the head of it is a celebrity. It could be any celebrity yeah. from the left or the right. It doesn't matter. There's not that many celebrities on the right, but still, you get my point. Yeah, to put it in perspective, as much as we're wringing our hands over the tragedy of this, this I mean, poor God woman. God forbid, was this Joe Piscopo? What would we have done? <laughs> you really, Jesus, God. <laughs> but yeah, as, as tragic as it is that this young woman got, got shot and died, this happens every week, people. Yeah. Every week. You know, there's there's somebody that loses somebody, yep. and it's always a tragedy. And truth be told, you know, you'll rarely ever hear me bring race into any conversation. But the truth of the matter is, is that these statistics that we're seeing in the inner cities, it's all brown people. You know what? Yeah. It's, and, it's, and nobody has a vested interest in it except for the parents or maybe the brother, sister, wife, husband yeah. of the brown person. Yeah. The rest of it, just, it's just swept under the rug. Just another statistic. Yeah. Pretty much so, unfortunately. That that would be the conclusion that one would come to, yeah. you know, given given the facts. Mm -hmm. You know, skip the hyperbole. Right. Facts know. don't lie. No. Statistics don't lie. No. So, you, you can know. spin them, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, it's a tragedy for all involved, but let's not forget that this tragedy happens on a pretty disturbingly regular basis. You know what else happens on a regular basis? Mm. By the grace of God, a middle gem. There we go. Because it's time to get, get out, of fuck this. out of this. Jesus. We're even, look at me. I'm wagging my finger at the body politic. <laughs> just like, who the hell am I? I'm like the next Alec Baldwin. Uh, Shit. Look out. So what do we got to rescue us from this, uh, this morass, Johnny? Well, we're going to come out of a true left field with this one. All right. Uh, a fun little, I guess you could call it like, an alt-rock band, more of a punk band. Yeah. The good folks at Husker Do. Hello. All right. right. All right. A, a little ditty, not even one of the most famous songs, but a little ditty called Too Much Spice. Oh, and there's, there's a reason we chose this oh, particular song, Oh, there's always a reason, sir. Because, <laughs> yeah, we're going to switch things up drastically into a whole new topic, and we'll cleanse the palate with some spice. Spice. Via this song, Too Much Spice. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in a couple more minutes with some more things and lighthearted stuff. You never used to care for a fancy new obsession. You never used to have a reason to be bored. With a new age of possession And now you indulge yourself And your feelings are ignored And your color in your life With too much bias And your color in your life With too much bias There was a time There was a place There was a reason There was a situation Comfortable for you You 
fact that it's just a fun band name to say absolutely with those little i don't even know what those little dots on like the, what is that swedish uh, i think so Danish. yeah yeah <laughs> and didn't those guys come out of minnesota i believe they did yeah yeah you know the same same area that you know birthed prince spice mm. and uh and yeah there's some, some interesting sounds that come out of that yeah, uh, like i said it's town. a hard band to pigeonhole but for our purposes here we'll call them like alt rock yeah, you know, leave definitely. it that little little punk tendencies. Yep. Uh, but that was, of course, uh, like I said, too much spice off of their 1987 album Warehouse Songs and Stories. Nice. And I felt it was an, uh, an appropriate tune because I was leaning <laughs> on the word spice. Because in our subtopic tonight, we're going to talk about that wacky little Dune movie. We're going to talk came some out. Dune. We're going to talk some Dune. Indeed. I like it. I like it. Now, just so the folks at home know. Michael Sean Lee is kind of like our resident Dune scholar here. Yeah, Sorry to put that mantle onto you. <laughs> um, and I'm more like the guy that watched the first movie and now the second movie and yeah. kind of has an opinion. So yeah. we're going to let you lead this, sir, since well, you're this the, is, uh, this the is expert. A, it is a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Spice. You know, the, the, the previous attempts at doing Dune, you know, were admirable, but fell just disgracefully short. Um, and just for perspective, this is, I think, one of, if not the best-selling uh, science fiction books of all time. Okay. Uh, Frank Herbert really nailed it with the original Dune book, which I believe came out in around 1967. I think he sold. I think it, the book has sold at least 20 million copies, if not more. And you know, books in general don't do that. Never mind science fiction books. So you have, you know, a, an awful lot of people out there 
who are Dune aficionados. You know, mm -hmm. myself, I bought the book at least three times. I've read it at least that many times, if not more so. Uh -huh. You know, it's one of those books that, you know, every, I don't know, four or five years or so, you go back and read it again because sure, it's, sure. it's that good. Mm -hmm. You know, he just, uh, he nailed it on so many different levels. And the, the want, you know, for somebody to do a good treatment of it, Right. You know, it's it's an angst. It's a desire. Well, I, I know. You know. And speaking to you over the past bunch of years, yeah. um, that was always your lament yeah. that such a good book would get such a meh, you know, kind oh, of treatment. Yeah. Oh yeah, David David Lynch took a took a good swing at it, but right. he fell just radically short. Spice. And you really can't you can't blame him much because the technology just wasn't there. Good point. You know, yep. and it, it's it's that. Uh, scenario with a lot of movies now, particularly, you know, the superhero movies that, you know, you and I both love, mm -hmm. um, that the technology has finally hit a point where you could do justice to these stories. Right. And I think today's crowd, definitely more so than at the time the original Dune came out, they're more conditioned to anticipate and appreciate a longer movie. Absolutely. So the original Dune, I know, went well over two hours, but at the time I was like, Oh my! I, this should have been in like the reviews they put on the yeah. posters. Oh my God! Make sure you pee first. Oh yeah. Well, that was the, that was the <laughs> thing, and and again, it was you know the uh, ultimate undoing of the David Lynch version is there's just no way you can cover this book in two two spice. hours or two and a half and it was hours. That, yeah. that constant spice. Yeah. You know the the Sci-Fi Channel <laughs> took a swing at it back in I think 2000. It was even worse. Yeah, it was like six or seven episodes and. Yeah. They did better than Lynch because there was more technology mm -hmm. at that time, but they still couldn't get it. It still right, right. left you wanting, mm -hmm. you know? But I'm happy to say this most recent version is pretty admirable, you yeah. know? They stick very, very close to the story, the book. Mm -hmm. um, but, <laughs> and there's an inevitable but, there always is. You know, if you're someone who has devoured it, you know, not just Dune, but the five books that followed it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Frank Herbert's son um, grabbed it and ran with it um, and has created prequels and sequels and prequels to the sequels. Uh, I don't know. It's, it, I think it's up to something like 16 different books now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just, it's a cult, quite honestly. It really right, is. Right. And it's a cult with very, very high standards. Sure. You know, so... In watching this movie, of course, you know, I was highly critical mm -hmm. of what they're doing with uh, the story and particularly with the casting. And, uh, and just to give you an idea, you know, I'm going to go down this list of the cast members now. <laughs> and like anybody gives a shit about my opinion, but I'm going to tell you what I approve of and what I'm having an issue with. Fair you enough. Know? And uh, first off, I want to say uh, casting Timothy Chalamet, mm -hmm. I think is how it's pronounced, as Paul Atreides, that was an inspired call. I, agree. I mean, the, the kids, the kids nailing it. He Thumbs truly, up. truly yeah. is, and I'm, I'm all about that. You know, rock on, kid. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, who's playing Lady Jessica. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the book, she's a little bit. More, I mean, in the book, she's a stunner. Right. She's an absolute stunner. She's just jaw-droppingly beautiful, and for whatever reason, uh, the director chose to kind of downplay. You know that aspect of it. Um, not sure why. I'm I'm open to, you know, waiting and seeing where he goes with this because obviously, and this was this was a big thing that they didn't much talk about in the promo. This was only part one. 
Right. You know, there's a part two coming. You know, they, they were genius in that alone that they kept that hidden. Yeah. Upon release. That, yeah. Oh, yeah very by much the so. way, but it, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense because it's like you can't, like I said, you can't cover this in two two hours or right. two and a half hours. You got it. I wouldn't be surprised if it may, if they you know broke it down into three or four different. Let's movies. not get crazy. Oh, now. It, it, yeah, get a little strung out <laughs> if they do that. But uh, but continuing on the casting of Oscar Isaac as Duke Leo Leto Atreides, I'm kind of. I don't know. I'm 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 reserving my judgment for that because mm-hmm. my initial impression is, uh, you know, I I kind of envisioned Duke Leto to be a little bit more uh, gallant, you know, right, the full right. full beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Not bad. Not bad. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, the casting of Zendaya's Shani looks good, mm-hmm. you know. But she didn't get much in the first half. Right. You know, it's it's obvious they're saving her, and they're that's it. They're saving her, and they're yeah. banking on her increased star power because yep. she's done great in the new Spider-Man movies. Yeah, so her stock only continues to rise. So. Yeah, yeah. And my initial impression is okay. This is good. This is going to get better. Right. But jury's still out. Um, Jason Momoa is is Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho in the book, and this is my humble opinion, and fuck you if you disagree with me, um, he was kind of a swashbuckler, you know, along the lines of a Robin Hood kind of character. And I wasn't sold on it, you know? Jason is kind of, I don't know, in my opinion, he's a little reserved as Duncan, you know? But the the potential is there, you know? See, I see it as the opposite. I think, you know, especially because the Aquaman franchise is doing so well. Yeah. It's almost like they, they put too big of a star in a supporting role in that one. Yeah. And there's so many actors that could probably do a great job yeah. in that role. Yeah. Well, the dude, Jason Momoa, you know, he's a buff dude. Yeah. You know, he's ripped. And I didn't really see Duncan Idaho as that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, physicality going on. You know, I'm not, I'm not shutting him down, but I'm not completely sold on it. Kind of the same way I feel about Duke Lido. Um and I'm going to bash one more character before I, before I get positive. Um, Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck. Uh-huh. Uh, way too uptight. You know, Gurney Halleck is the troubadour warrior. Right. You know, he's a guy that, you know, he carries the ballast wherever he goes. And, and originally it was played by Patrick Stewart, I think, in the first I, one. Did he, I don't think he did. Did he did Gurney in the first one? He might have. I think have. he did, yeah. He might have, which was a lousy call. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, but, it, but it's Patrick Stewart. At yeah. least he's familiar yeah. with the, the works of the Bard. Oh, so of to course. Speak. There's an amount of gravitas <laughs> that comes with anything Patrick Stewart does. Right. But again, the troubadour warrior. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see Patrick Stewart busting a tune on a ballast. I just don't see it. Gotcha. You know, and Josh Brolin. I mean, he's obviously he's making the effort, and I love Josh Brolin. Don't get me wrong; he's done some great work. Um, but in, in this, it's kind of like like loosen up, dude. Come right, on, you know, right. get loose. <laughs> now I want to say, and this was this is the, the 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 casting and the character that I was most enjoying was Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Yeah, they in the book, he's kind of a buffoon. Okay, he's kind of a like, bleh, you know, and he's. Um, a gay pedophile, you know, in the book. He That's prays the worst on, kind. Yeah, he prays on little boys, you know. But Stellan has taken the character and made him fucking frightening. Right. I mean, intense. It's, it kind of harkens back to the role he had in King Arthur mm-hmm. as the leader of the Saxons. You know, it's just this intense, you know, smoldering fucking guy. I ain't do what you by damn sight. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Right. And he's brought that to the Baron Harkonnen character in the movie. 
and it works. It's like this guy is scary, you know. And and if you look at all the just vile, harsh, awful shit that the Baron does in the books, it's appropriate, you know. And I, and I love. And it's obviously the director has made some decisions on this. Um, Stellan has made some decisions on this. And suddenly he's a, like I said, he's a scary character in this. And I love that twist on it. I, I love that interpretation. I Fair think enough. they nailed that, you know? Right. So props to them on that. Uh, Stephen, Stephen McKinley Henderson as Thuffer Howitt kind of had a different idea in mind. Kind of thinking of it like a skinny, wiry dude, mm-hmm. you know, which Stefan isn't. But I'm trying to think which character was that? He's the guy with the stained, stained lips, the okay. Sappho stained lips. Okay. And like he's, the uh, well, not not the doctor. No, he's not. He's not you. He's he's uh, like just an advisor. Yeah. Well, he's the master assassin. Okay. You know that House Atreides employ uh, gotcha. employs, and like I said, I just kind of kind of envisioned him as a more kind of wiry reptilian dude. Right. And like I said, Stefan's Stefan's a hulky dude. He's a stocky dude. It might work. I don't know. I'm kind of like reserving judgment till we see part two. Right. So again, jury's kind of out on that. You know. And it's an interesting interpretation. The guy's a good actor, you know. There's no faulting him on that. But it's just not what I saw, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, that's the way it is when you're a Dune aficionado, when you're somebody that's read the book five fucking right. times, is right. you, you possess your opinion and your take on the characters. And if the director doesn't agree with you, fuck him. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? But, again, the guy's a great actor, and I respect the hell out of the stuff he's done. He was in uh, one of my favorite... HBO series, The Newsroom, mm-hmm. and played a very, very interesting and titular character in that. So it's like, I'm, I'm behind you, dude, but, you know, the jury's out, you know. Right. Wow me in part two, <laughs> you know. Knock me out in part two, please. Well, know? from, uh, you know, from a, a layman's perspective, not having yeah. read the books, um, there was things that, obviously, for me in the first movie, did and didn't work. Yeah, I'm and very curious as, as to someone who, like you said, didn't read the books and whatnot, how you take just the movie as a standalone. Right. You know? And I was conversing with uh, my buddy Andy, who's been on the show a couple times. Yeah. And we were at the same you know thing. Our, our, our least favorite thing about the first movie was the constant spice. <laughs> spice. Because it's 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 a very easy movie to fall asleep to. Yeah, right? d- yeah David Lynch is a weird dude. He yeah. just is, yeah. you know. So in this one, um, right off the bat, you could tell there was so much meticulous care taken into yeah. creating uh, this this universe. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's not super super high polished like a right. quote unquote blockbuster would be. Mm-hmm. It's very gritty. It's very down to earth. That's and it's got that feeling of um, aged. Futurism, yeah, the same way the Star Wars movies use, yeah, it, you know, yeah, like the Millennium Falcon, yeah, it's a spaceship, we'll never see anything like it, but it's old and it's beat up, yeah, and it, it kind of works, and a lot of the equipment is all weathered and stuff, yeah, you know, I loved uh, on on a second note of the technology, I loved seeing more of the spaceships and how they reflected the different societies at yep. play, yep, I super duper loved the House of Trades, um, little like dragonfly spaceships. Yes, they want to this. Yes, because it was very just um, uh, not ergonomic, but it, it reflected as most technology would in a foreign civilization. Yeah, the things that they have at hand that they see all the time. Yeah, you know, our stuff here in the real world has been so sterilized. Yeah, but yet if you look at say cars from the fifties with the big, you know. The fans and, and shit. The fans. Yeah. It was more of a stylized thing of things that 
that we took from nature yeah. that connoted speed and, and, and flash and efficiency. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, that's, that's devoid. We're devoid of that. Yeah, we're devoid of bulk. Right. You know, right. Yeah. You know, the best we could do now, I mean, again, even looking at the space shuttle, it was a neat shape. It appealed to us. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got wings. It's like a plane. Yeah. Whereas you look at what we're setting up now, we're back to capsules and tubes, and it's just, yeah. you know, there's no aesthetic yeah. there. So I like that they reached out with that, and I especially liked how they kind of fleshed out the ecology of the spice. Yes. And it wasn't just um, this magical all purpose thing that people were going to kill each other over. Yeah. They, you know, they kind of fleshed out, well, it's needed in interstellar space travel. Yeah. And the the lesser of the the charms of this you know, substance yeah. were its hallucinogenic effects and the yeah. side effects. Yeah, it's funny. It's a narcotic, but it's a multifaceted narcotic. Right. You and know? They, they portray it as more harmful than good. Yeah. And it was like, wow, well, they didn't do this in the first one. Because, like, the first one, probably because it was a David Lynch piece, everybody just wanted to get stoned, <laughs> you know, and, and take it to the next yeah. higher level of yeah. being or whatever. Spice. This, no, not so much. And yeah. I like the way they showed how it separates from the sand. Because again, in the first one, all you see is sand. It's like they're yeah. mining sand. Yeah. But now they see how it separates and it glows in the in the, in the light and everything. Mm-hmm. So I had liked that care, that tender, loving care yeah. that the production crew, when they were sitting down at the big table, took in in making these things known to the new viewers. Yep. And yep. hopefully, which you can either poo-poo or, or say yay to, make it a little closer to the vision of the novels. Oh yeah. Well, so much, so much of part one is is Juries out until we see part two. Right. You know, there's so many interpretations that any individual would have of the book that are being challenged, you know, by the director's take on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some of them, you're like, no, fuck you, that's wrong. But in others, you're like, okay, maybe. Right. You know, let's see where you go with this. Let's mm-hmm. see what you do with this. And I'm very curious, again, like I'm sure most people are, to see where he goes with part two. Right. And you what know? are we looking at? Two years now? For Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think man. that was the talk. But it's it's kind of like the old days, you know. You remember I when guess, we found the, yeah. we saw the first Star Wars film, and it was like, oh shit, you know, we're gonna, you know. And it was worse with the second one, with the cliffhanger second yeah, one, with yeah. Han getting carted off in the block of. But we didn't notice it like that much then. But it seems like now everything, especially good shows on cable, yeah. you're looking at like two years on average in between seasons. Yeah. I never thought I'd be measuring my lifespan <laughs> when the next you know season of whatever show is coming yes. back up. Yes. But nonetheless, here we are. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, it, and it, it, it definitely, like I said, it leaves you with, uh, okay, show me. Right. You know, kind of right. feeling. I'm not going to conclude. I'm not going to mm-hmm. pass final judgment. Right. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it open. But, you know, the pressure's on, mm. you know, with the director, and his name escapes me, I'm sorry, I <laughs> fucking dropped the ball on that end of research, but it's like, dude, you better wow me with the second one. Right. You better kill it. Well, it looks, it looks positive, the future looks bright. And it's, a, it, the, the, again, given the, you know, sequels and prequels and, and all the other shit, shit mm-hmm. that, uh, that Frank Herbert's son has done with the Dune franchise, I mean, the potential here, and Hollywood can't possibly not see this, you know, given well, the greed heads that they surprised. are. But it's like, <laughs> dude, if you nail the second one, uh-huh. you know, that opens the floodgates, you right. know, to at least another half dozen Dune films, if not more, yep. you know, that you could potentially do. So I'm sure he's getting, you know, text messages and phone calls from studio heads going, don't fuck this up, don't do it, <laughs> you know, be sure about this, because, you know, 
literally billions of dollars are hanging in the balance here. Yep. You know, that's the reality here on planet Earth in, you know, 2021. You know, never mind Dune 10,000 years in the future. That's the reality <laughs> that that poor bastard is facing right now, you know? All right. So, ah, yeah. that was fun. That felt good. I enjoyed that. I know you enjoyed it. You got nice. to throw up your chest, which is excellent. Yes. So uh, we, got a, we got another gem? I'm sure we do. And you probably right. got one that's relatively apropos to the second topic? I think I do. What do you got, Kip? I think I do. Um, and this is, this is fun because with this particular band, you can't, you can't make a bad call. You yeah. know, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Not that so, we're lazy. No, And not we at started all. this real late today. It's got nothing to do with that. No, we have very high standards, in fact, which is a nod <laughs> of respect to this particular band. Okay. And I think it's very appropriate for the topic that we've been discussing. Uh, we're going to roll with a little Talking Heads and Life During Wartime. There we go. Everyone knows the song, uh, this, this tune, rather, and everybody loves it. So let's just play it for them, and we'll have a couple tidbits and a wrap-up when we come back. So stay tuned. Pierre. You ought to know not to 
stand by the window Somebody see you up there I got some groceries, some peanut butter To last a couple of days But I ain't got no speakers Ain't got no headphones Ain't got no records to play It's hard not to yeah, like most seriously, songs in their catalog. Man, you know, they are so unique. Yep. You know, in the pantheon of 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 bands and popular music, and you know, if you want to categorize them in alternative rock or whatever, they're mm -hmm. just you know, there is nothing like them that preceded them. There's nothing like them that has come after them. True story. Yeah, and it's just you know, and I'm pride of fucking New England. They came out of the Rhode Island School of Art, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, yes. at least and, David Bird did. Yeah, and the whole. Like New York punk rock scene of mm. the late seventies, though yep. they're not punk rock. Not it, you no. know. But they are, yes. They're CBGB alumnus. Yeah, and and yeah, just remarkable. So yeah, that was Life During Wartime, which was the first single from their nineteen seventy nine album Fear of Music, hmm. which is another thing they used to come up with great, great album titles. titles. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and as far as our tie into Dune, um, there was a book by a guy named David Bowman. Um, this must be the place, Adventures of the Talking Heads in the 20th, 20th century. Thank you, Vodka. Um, 
that described the protagonist of the song as a revolutionary hiding out in a deserted cemetery surviving on peanut butter. And that's very close to Paul Atreides from Dune, minus the peanut butter. <laughs> but then, the, you know, the spice could be the peanut butter. So, uh -huh. you know, there is a tie-in there. There's definitely a tie-in there. And you know what? Fuck it. Who cares if there was? It's a Talking Hedge tune. Uh, you know? See, and there we, you go. Just well, debasing everything we do <laughs> and all the thought that goes into these selections. <laughs> but yeah, we can't go wrong doing a Hedge tune. We can't. You know, see, that's, this is why our audience a, likes me more. Is that what it is? Because I just put so much thought, whether perceived or, or, or not, in, into all these decisions. And you're just like, <laughs> I don't know. Seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Well, we got to have that yin and, yin and yang thing here now. You are perennially the scolded teenager. Is that what it is? Who's being asked, what did you, <laughs> what were you thinking? And you're just arrested development in the aspect of, uh, I don't know. Well, hey, man, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. Right. Someone's got to hey, do it. We need know? that. We need that here because, you know, left to my druthers, I would just be Mussolini 24-7. Oh, my 24 seven. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> we got to be irreverent. We got to do it. We got to do it. Spice. So, right. Johnny, what's hey. happening? What's what's happening in Big Boom Radio this week? Well, you know, why you've been waxing philosophically yes. all week on the merits of, of Dune and Spice right. and whatnot. All right. I'm putting the work in. So nice. a whole slate of, of new shows coming. Look out. Uh, included, which I was very happy about. Okay. Uh, new episodes of the Classic Rock Showcase. Hello. Including one of your favorite bands, the Smashing Pumpkins. Nice. Good stuff. And then on a, a more artistic, deep diving tip, I went with The Jam. Wow. All right. Which I was surprised how easy it was to fill up an hour with the hits by The Jam. We're going to school you know, some people with that one. They like 14 top 10 hits. No I did not shit. know that. Yes. Wow. All right. So, hey, go figure. Nice. And we're not even done yet. I know I need to uh, resurrect... <laughs> The, uh, the show on Dire Straits, which for some reason disappeared out of my catalog. Yikes. I think there's gremlins or something coming in. and just I don't doubt that for a minute. Sabotaging my shit. I don't yep. know. Yep. But uh, yeah, so Dire Straits will reemerge. And then it was like some fringe ones that I was considering. Okay. Um, groups like No Doubt. All right. Uh, and there was another one that escapes me, so they were probably going to be the more difficult of the two. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so those shows are coming. And then... Um, well, something to look forward to, no doubt. Yeah, I gotta and all, say. all the usual cast of characters. I did another uh, version of the Rocky Billy Rumble today, and this time we yep. were focusing on all things Atomic Age. Okay. Which is part of the reason why I love Rocky Billy music to begin with. That's all got those... some huge potential there. Yeah, and it was so much fun. And as I, I mentioned to you earlier, and I'll leave the audience in the dark on this one, all right. there were songs that I came across that I actually kicked up to my dad okay. <laughs> to say, you know, having lived through this and being a rock and roller, do you remember this song? He's like, Johnny, I never knew this song existed. No shit. So I'm like, oh, diamond in the rough. So all right, all yeah, right. Lots of fun stuff in that episode. And nice. uh, we're backed up now. I, I I try and do the programming a couple weeks out at least. Yep. You know, because the the way real life tears at us from all sides. Reality sucks. Yes, it does. And I'm not making enough money doing this yet. Where I can just <laughs> say, fuck y'all, I'm out of here. Oh, but when that day does come. Oh, when that day comes. And I tell you what, we're getting close because this podcast still still on fire. So All we're right. like 5,250-something 
downloads now. Hello. Um, but what's good about it is that the the frequency of people jumping on it as the new episodes come out is yep. increasing. Oh, nice. And that that's really what, what tells the tale right there. So I guess we'll keep doing kind of what we're doing. Nice. I like that idea. You know, remember, folks, only the first one's free. <laughs> I'm lying. Everyone's oh, free. no. It's all just so damn Oh, free. let's not go there. Oh, my goodness. But we need sponsors, so... This is true. This is if true. If you want to attach your name to uh, what we're doing here... And you're a vodka distributor. And you're a vodka <laughs> distributor. <laughs> and uh, you're not going to be all like uh, that that arcade guy from the Wayne's World movies yeah. where you and, try and, and like, insert yourself in every episode. Five-hour energy would be the second tier, Oh, I think. clearly. Yes. Clearly. All right. Which, actually, five-hour energy is still one of our biggest advertisers on Big Boom Radio. Are they really? Through no fault of either of us, <laughs> <laughs> they, them and the Home Depot and, and McDonald's get we're, we're heavy so rotation. Sorry, so sorry we're abusing your product. Right? Because, <laughs> damn it, I'm, I'm just about at the point where I'm taking five-hour intravenously. Oh, dude, serious. Because it's just... And I've turned you onto the product. You were I a know. naysayer. Like, you yeah, create, it's not going to do you nothing. You created a fucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so damn tasty. Now, I just wish stores like Walmart and Target and everybody else would show an abundance of the varieties they yeah. have instead of like three flavors. Yeah. Get on it, folks. I know. The extra strength grape only goes so far. <laughs> seriously. You know? Seriously. And now I got Tropical Fusion at Walmart. Shout yeah. out. Which is a step in the right direction. So okay. I'll do all of them except berry. Yeah. For some reason, just Doesn't berry. Work. Just that nondescript. What kind of berry? There's a billion berries out there. I, need, I need more info. Yep. yep. I'm with you. I'm but with we you. digress. We do. Yeah, we we do. We do. <laughs> Especially at this point in the show. Yeah, right at this hour. So with that, yes. we're going to wrap up this uh, all-important 89th episode. Damn. Right? Wow. Woof. Holy shit. That, 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 that is rendering me speechless. Yeah. Is, I, we're we're, we're comfortably wow. two years into this now. Nice. Episode 89. Damn. And we have an audience. And we do. And we're grateful for it. We are. Extremely. We yep. love you all out there, especially... Now, it's like, remember that show Magic Garden on PBS when we were kids? Yeah. And the two chicks would sit on the swing at the end and be like, they'd hold up this mirror. I see Johnny and Michael <laughs> and Susie. And as kids, you're like, oh, my God, they see me. Oh, my God. Well, I'm going to take a look at our distribution map and do yep. the same thing. And I'll say, I see you, New Delhi. There we Thank go. Thank you for tuning in. I see you, Brisbane, Australia. Thanks Shout for out to Japan. Out. Thank you, Tokyo. Yeah. I, I see you, Salt Lake City, Utah. There we go. Right? And I see you crunchy bastards out there in Portland, Oregon, too. So thanks. <laughs> Love nice. it. And of course, up and down the East Coast, that's what's up. Pittsburgh. I mean, it goes on and on. St. Louis, Kansas City. Yes. Even Dallas. Dallas is making a statement in Texas. We got They're Dallas? tuning in. Yes. Do we really? We nice. have Dallas now. So it's all good in the hood, as um, they say. Hell yeah. So keep listening, folks. We'll keep cranking out our nonsense. Yes. Maybe we'll like I don't know, improve the world somehow. No, someday. really? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave it leave it open as a possibility. Fair enough. There we go. So with that, as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we will see you all on the flip side. Spice. <laughs>